What's up, guys? Mitch from Respect My Region back with another North American Weed Tour podcast episode, episode 31, I believe. Uh, start to lose count at some point over these episodes. Today, we have a special guest, Michelle Hackett, the president of Riverview Farms. How are you doing today, Michelle? I'm good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. Awesome, man. I'm, I'm doing well. How is, how is you know, I'll start off with a generic question, man. How is the weather down there? And uh, you're in Salinas County, correct? Yes, we're in Salinas, California, which is Monterey County. So we're starting oh. to feel that coastal breeze. It's probably crisp 65, but sunny. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're, I'm, I'm, I live in the Seattle area. So similar, except for the sun is long gone. It's checked out for the next nine <laughs> months, man. So I'm, I'm into the, the year of the gray. Um, man, so, you know, I've been doing a little bit of research on yourself and the company, and obviously it seems like you come from a long line of cultivation, not necessarily cannabis, but, um, agriculture, farming and cultivation. So could you just give me a little bit, kind of the brief introduction of yourself, where you've been and leading up to this start at Riverview Farms? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so my name is Michelle Hackett. Um, I'm third generation in the agricultural field. Um, my family has had long ties to our community. Um, and so the property that we currently cultivate on has been in our family for about 25 years. Previously, the land was used for flower nursery production. Um, here in the Salinas Valley, we're known as the salad bowl of the world. So we produce 90 to 90% five percent of all the fresh vegetables that are sold across the United States. So lettuce, uh, spring mix, broccoli, artichokes, wine grapes, and now cannabis are all cultivated here in Monterey County. And so uh, in 2015, uh, my dad decided to um, turn the space that we currently have now, where we cultivate our canopy, uh, decided to take that land back into his own use and begin uh, cannabis cultivation. And so that's when he asked me to come and join the team uh, shortly after in 2016. Uh, we were the first cannabis company in Monterey County to get an exemption to grow mm -hmm. medical cannabis back then. Um, and we've just been evolving our business ever since. And so are you guys still using some of the land to cultivate other agriculture products or have you switched completely to cannabis? No, so now we're 100% a THC farm, um, but it's funny, if you were looking at a drone uh, image of our of our property uh, to the front and to the back of me, we have all agricultural land surrounding us. Awesome, so you got, I've been to a couple greenhouse facilities in California, just because you guys obviously have been doing greenhouse at scale for agriculture for a long time. Um, just due to the, sun, the sunlight you guys get in, in your area. So I've been to a couple where it's like they've been able to take the, the greenhouse and essentially just switch out the plant. Was it a similar process for you guys to go from other products to cannabis, just switching out the plant? Or what was kind of the obstacles and how in-depth did you have to switch out, you know, machines and SLPs and everything like that? So the term that I would use or that we've used in the industry is retrofitting, right? So we've okay. been we've been taking the the property that we have and slowly but surely giving it um, facelifts, I guess you could say. So for example, you know, we had um, wooden structures that, that people said, oh, you'll never be able to cultivate cannabis in there. Um, just because they had low ceilings, they were old, um, you know, they weren't 
they weren't properly wrapped with the correct, you know, materials. They didn't have maybe air ventilation. Certain things didn't quite exist. There were curtains in there. Um, but something that, you know, we are able to do here is, you know, find ways to fine tune our space, give it the proper upgrades, give it the proper care so that we actually can convert that space into usable space. Um, there's not one original structure that is not now in use um, mm -hmm. on our property. So we've, we've found ways to either repurpose, reuse, or kind of recycle the resources that we've had here on the farm and make them functional. So, you know, for example, you know, whether it be the machinery that we use, you know, we've, we've, outsourced, let's just say like an industrial potting machine that maybe was used for a different agricultural crop. Well, we've been able to use it to help us speed up our transplant process. Or, you know, when it comes to, you know, we have the natural resource of a water well on our farm. So, so that we don't take advantage of that, we've created um, water runoff collections so that we can actually repurpose that water, reuse and recycle it back on the property. Um, even our pots, you know, we've, we've come up with a way to have a sanitation line after every harvest. We're able to actually sanitize those pots and put them back into production. So any little way that we can use something again, um, we, we find ways to do. So that's how we've kind of slowly but surely been able to, to retrofit our properties, you know, space where we used to have mothers once were dry rooms until we could get the proper dry room we have now. So there's been an evolution. I guess that's the best way I can say it. The properties have changed maybe the way they looked from day one when we started and we still have a long way to go too, right? Um, we, we do it as we can afford and when uh, we need to expand and when we need to improve upon our, our production. So um, it's, been a, it's been an ever changing kind of journey at the property. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I can hear that. And that's even, even facilities that are built out from scratch for cannabis still yeah. it's ever changing. I mean, it's, it's a plant that you got to adapt to, you know, how, how it grows. Um, were you guys able to retain a lot of the same staff moving, like changing out crops and, and keep a lot of the same workforce there? Or is it kind of a new look with, with a new plant being in there? So I will say, you know, we've been actually very fortunate. We have an incredible labor force here just due to the agricultural presence. And what we've been able to do is we've been able to retain a lot of the ag force labor, bring them here to our facility and keep them employed 365 days a year. So something mm. kind of unique to cannabis in Monterey County versus the other crops, um, you know, lettuce, spring mix, broccoli, all the fresh vegetables are seasonal. So those are only in the Salinas Valley for a time of year. So we, we kind of consider it Easter to Thanksgiving is when those crops are grown here in the Salinas Valley. Then they move to Yuma, Arizona. So for, for many generations, these people have had to uproot their families, uproot their Ooh. lives and transition two times a year. It's called the move. So now having cannabis in Monterey County and multiple grows and multiple needs uh, for labor, we've been able to employ people and keep those jobs here in the Salinas Valley year round, which I think has been incredible. Yeah, that's, you know, honestly, that's something I have not thought about. And that's, I'm curious, I'll have to look after this, if there's been any data reports on just, you know, you talk about the workforce and the labor that, that cannabis has provided, the, and just by having the industry exist has provided the states. But that's like a, a perfect case study for taking a local area and not just providing jobs, but providing year-long jobs where it once was seasonal. You know, I've, never, I've honestly never even thought of that. That's very unique. Yeah. And I think it plays a big, a big role. And also the tax dollars that are being, you know, collected and also the, the revenue that stays within our county, right? If you have all those laborers 
staying here year round and spending their money here locally, that's a huge, I would think, spike for, for Monterey County and for Salinas. Absolutely. And I think it, it, it ranged true more to you guys. Like, you know, a lot, a lot of you, when I read the website and look around, it's very much like locally owned, locally operated. And so it just kind of adds more impact to those statements. Um, what, what has been like the most rewarding thing for you? I mean, I'm sure that has to be one of them, but what has been the most rewarding thing for you for being, you know, a local running a company that you guys have some heritage to and is a local and being able to employ, employ the local you know, people of, of, of the local area? Like what, what does that feel like and what does that mean? What's the importance to you around that? Well, I think it's, you know, here at Riverview, you know, not only are we a family, you know, my, my, my father founded the business. My sister Lauren is now our VP of retail sales. So not only are we a family affair, even though we're, we're a 20 acre facility, in senior management, we have about 15 staff members and then yeah. about 75 laborers. So, you know, to come to work every single day and, and, see our staff as our team, our family. We work hard together. We hopefully reward everyone together. You know, I really look forward to celebrations that we host here at the farm. So, you know, whether it's a special birthday, whether it's someone on our team having a baby, whether it's 4th of July, Halloween, whatever, you know, we really try once a month to get together and have a big cookout or a barbecue with all of our staff and kind of break bread and celebrate. And, and that's very, very rewarding to come together and, and for our team to see us as their, their equal. You know, we're, we're all doing this together. We wouldn't be the business we are without our people and to break bread together and hear everyone's stories and, and how they're all connected to, to us and, and growing this plant and putting out high quality product uh, to the market. I think it's just very unique. I mean, there are so many corporate level now companies emerging and um, I think there's space for all of us to coexist, but we are a true family owned, yeah. family operated, minority owned and operated cannabis business that's supporting you know this, this space. We're supporting women, we're supporting minorities and we're you know, advocating for high quality cannabis. Um, so there's, there's so many positive things that I think we are able to, to kind of share and, and preach that is very unique to some of our local competitors, you know, being able to um, know that any of our staff know exactly who we are as owners and operators and have the relationship that we do is, has been extremely uh, rewarding. And then, you know, on a, on a, on a different note, um, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about the, the politics that are involved with the cannabis industry. I think that we have a lot of change that needs to take place, not only at the county level, but at the state level in terms of just taxation and um, just over um, kind of over regulation of the industry, right. the constant, you know, checks and balances that happen at the state and county level. So I'm very active in, in hopefully affecting positive change. Um, they may seem very like small changes, but that's what it takes to really affect a larger, more global change. Um, so, you know, at Riverview Farms, we, we've kind of been um, crusaders along with other local cultivators, along with some local organizations to affect change on our taxation rate, affect change in canopy adjustment, which means in Monterey County, there was an ordinance that only allowed cultivators to, to have one change to your canopy for an entire fiscal year. Cool. So meaning if you wanted to turn on canopy or maybe put up an additional greenhouse or um, add square footage, you had to wait till the next fiscal year. 
or on the contrary, right now we're coming into winter, not all of us have supplemental lighting. This is when we start to see a decline in production and the market has not been what we thought it would be. And so people wanna scale back potentially, right? We've only had the opportunity to do that once a fiscal year. We just got approved this week to now do it twice a year, which I'm very proud of. I mean, if I'm attending board of supervisors meetings, we're holding cultivation meetings, we're coming together and we're trying to work with our county to find ways that we can both be happy and we can both understand and and respect rules and regulations that are in place. Because a lot of these, uh, you know, regulators that had access to, um, you know, making these decisions didn't think in in the perspective of an actual owner operator they don't know what it takes to run these businesses and what the flexibility we need and so i see this as a huge win yeah no absolutely and, and i think you, you you hit it on the head when you said the small changes mean a lot because especially when you're dealing with regulators in the government you know you have to fight so much there's so little and it takes people willing to put up that fight to see any change at all because especially coming from the cannabis industry where historically it's very anti-government anti-regulation and you know people don't want to work with the feds or whatever you know whatever it's very much the mentality it takes people like yourself that are willing to put in the effort to make these incremental changes no matter how slow and at times, I'm sure it feels like you're banging your head against the wall for a year at a time, you know, but that's just government in any in any sense of the, the way. So, um, you know, big salute to you for making that fight, because that's that's definitely awesome. And, and I know that benefits more people than just yourself. So that's that's great to hear. Um, you touched on a couple of things. I'm going to circle back on a couple of different points. Yeah, that, but, <laughs> but, but one of them, just one of the basic ones I want to get out the way is why cannabis? Why was the move? to why did you move to cannabis? What was kind of the reasoning and the, and the thought behind that? Well, I think there was a lot of excitement, right? About learning something new and, and starting at the forefront of, a, of an emerging industry here in the state of California. Obviously, I have a lot of respect for the legacy cultivators, but that's not that's not my, my story or my family's story. But, you know, seeing it become legal and being in the Appalachian in the area that we are, there were so many opportunities to grill, build a business from the ground up and do it with my family. So I jumped at that opportunity because previous previous to this, I was working in the agricultural field in the sales department. And then I was very passionate about it. You know, I, I love the sales. I love the hustle. I love meeting people, networking. Um, but there's, there's, that's an established industry that's been here for decades. Mm -hmm. And there comes a point of, um, you know, I don't, I hate to say the glass ceiling, but there comes a point where you've reached kind of the pinnacle of where you're going to be. And at, at a young age to already be kind of where I was in the, in the agricultural space, um, I was very fortunate, but at the same time, where, where was the growth? Where was the challenge? Where would I, you know, find my next purpose? And so in, in jumping into to Riverview with my dad. And, and at the beginning, it was my dad, a com- Ryan Miller, our compliance officer, myself, and one accounting person, four of us as staff and the rest laborers. And I had never seen, you know, thousands upon thousands of pounds of cannabis grown process, you know, be responsible for the sales, build the brand. I mean, the two brands that we put to market I designed from the ground up. So there was so much opportunity to learn so much more than, than the small skill set I had. And 
I'm, I'm able to learn something new every single day, whether it be about the plant, whether it be about what the consumers want to see, whether it's about, you know, different varieties, um, you know, just every single day seems to bring a new, a new challenge. And the people that I've been able to meet, um, the relationships I've been able to, to maintain and, and continuously build have just been incredibly rewarding. And then now to have my younger sister, Lauren, you know, join me and to be kind of a sister duo that um, tag teams and works together has been just one of the best experiences of my life. It's made us so much closer and building a business together as like two young females has been um, just a very, a very exciting and, and honestly, like probably something I'll remember for the rest of my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I echo, you know, for me personally, you know, the, the example of the ceiling from another industry, you know, I come from the music industry, it's still dabble in that, but cannabis excites me at a way higher level. Yeah. The simple point of what you said, it's just the, the roads getting built right now and there's not as many gatekeepers and boxes people can put you in. You can really just build kind of whatever the hell you want right now. And so it's for me, you know, even though I work in multiple industries, it's 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 nothing's more exciting. And the opportunity is there, there's no greater opportunity. But, you know, back to so you and you and your sister working together. And I know I believe 75 percent of your guys's workforce is is female over there and obviously women led. So what has been what has been the importance of of that, of just like that representation within this industry, you know, where that's an anomaly, right? It's, it's not common. Right. So I, I will say that, you know, it's, it's not by, it's not by default that we've, 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 we've become this big female powerhouse, but you know, women, women are, are very multitasking, multifunctional, and um, we're able to quickly adapt. So what we've found is, not only the level of care and attention that you know our workforce puts into our product, but also the di being able to diversify themselves, learn many functions. Um, people that were maybe once on, let's just say our spray team are now leading the spray team. Just how quickly they are willing to learn more, take on more responsibility and be able to adapt to our daily needs, whether it be transplanting, whether it be uh, bucking, whether it be you know, harvesting, I mean, the, the, the adaptability that these people have, especially because they've come from the ag, the ag field, you know, today they might be harvesting broccoli, tomorrow they may be high harvesting iceberg, um, you know, they're able to quickly um, change their skill set and, and turn, you know, skills on and off based off of what they're doing. So, um, you know, for us, you know, it's, it's, it's not, um, it's not that we don't, we don't love our fellas. You know, my dad is our founder, our compliance officer, Ryan is, is a great friend. And, you know, we have uh, our cultivator, Sean, we're so lucky to have him as well. I mean, we have some amazing fellas on our team as well. Um, but you know, it's, it's just, it's just kind of evolved. You know, we've had many, um, staff members, you know, come and go, but we, we seem to have this core group that is just um that is just resilient and helps us always get to that next level that man that's awesome and you know i, I personally you know I, you know it's not versus the man versus female but I, i'll admit you know women run the world man women <laughs> women run the world i'd be nowhere without without many women in my life and you know we, we work with quite a bit on our team and and sent for a while a lot of our staff was female and it was the same it wasn't by design it was just how it happened and so right. um well, that's great to hear and then also you know so that's the thing you know being being you know women led that much of the workforce being female is is rare and a minority in itself and then also being minority owned 
um, is inc obviously incredibly rare in this industry. I'm in Washington, it's very rare up here. It's still rare in California, it's a little bit larger than up here. But how do you feel the industry has been receptive to you um, or the company, being that it's both minority and female-led? Have you felt like, I don't want to immediately pigeonhole as like you've been looked down upon or anything. I'm just curious, have, have, have you felt any sort of negative things or has it been like accept an accepting place? Yeah. Like how do you feel the atmosphere just around being kind of, you know, being, I don't mean a minority as, as you know, race, but just a minority is the ownership. You're yeah. a minority within, within the scope of the pie of what owner or, you know, owners and operators look like. How has the industry been receptive to you within that? And, and how do you feel within the atmosphere? So it's it's kind of funny I, and I totally understood what you were saying. I think it's it's interesting because at the at the at the forefront I I still see us at, at a very we're still very young into this industry and so you know um not to name any specific names but some of the larger and more corporate companies that initially had such a large presence and such a big hype and and stigma around them um, for whatever reason that I will leave out of this discussion, you know, are slowly but surely um, deteriorating, whether it be, you know, acquisitions and mergers or deals that have gone bad. And, you know, I wish everyone well. There's space for all of us to, to exist in this world, right? But I feel that we are, um, we are the underdog in a way that we're going to come out the successors, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that there's been, just due to the climate of today's landscape politically and, and just a lot of the movements that have taken place recently, it's become of interest all of a sudden sure. that we are females and that we're Hispanic and that we're, you know, young, younger, you know, in comparison to probably some of the corporate level uh, businesses and their, what their senior management looks like. Right. So all of a sudden it's become a little bit of a more popular topic that sure. we're female led, but what I what I'm really looking forward to is is it's not just about being female led or the fact that we're minorities. It's the fact that we're doing things right. That's right. what I think will be our shining star. You know, at the end of the day, we're we're looking for this to be our business, our legacy. We want to be here in five, 10, 15 years, wherever this industry evolves, we will we will hunker down and we will make the right business decisions to hopefully forego whatever challenges come our way. Sure. And whereas some of these, you know, a little bit more elaborate or flashy businesses aren't taking, you know, uh, that into consideration or being conservative when they need to be or making, you know, unfortunately, difficult, difficult decisions or scaling back or, you know, we don't have any outside investors, we don't have anybody to fall on, if heaven forbid, we make a, a bad decision, or we have a bad year. So I think we are really focused on the future we are focused on being here you know in the mm -hmm. future and and being being in it for the long haul as opposed to being in it for a quick you know right. flashy car or big salary we're we're very conservative people and i think that's where our background kind of comes into play is that i feel we will be um kind of like the david and goliath like we will be kind of the champion in the end and i think our hard work will will very much pay off yeah. And, and I mean, that's the thing. It's unique that you guys have that, you know, I think you said three, three generations of growing, that it's still a family business. That's so much more impactful because, like you said, that 
the social justice, social equity over the last year is great. It's great. You know, it's much needed, but it has also turned into this like marketing, right? Just like how gluten free was like the hottest thing you could slap on a product, you know, three, four years ago, it's like slap some sort of make people feel good about social justice on something. And I, I totally understand. We have clients, I have friends, I have family that are like, I don't want, that's what I am. I don't want to be known for that. I just want my legacy to be my legacy and that not right. necessarily it is a part of it but it, it it is a different climate that we're in today but it is it is like in, it is also important i think for people to see that representation within this space right because if you look i, I mean obviously i don't need to say it. nobody should need to say it i mean it has sadly has to be said but the, the representation in terms of who's been incarcerated and who's been prosecuted for this drug you know is, and black and brown people at a disappropriate rate for generations and getting left out of the ownership is clearly an issue um, everywhere in cannabis. Um, right. But it's definitely refreshing, you know, it is refreshing to see someone like yourself and especially like you mentioned like young too, like that's a, another anomaly that's thrown in the mix. There isn't a lot of young leadership in this space. Um, so have you felt and I know you kind of touched on it and I don't want to get, you know, we have to get on bashing people, but even just being young in this space, do you feel like, I know you kind of mentioned it, but do you feel like people not necessarily look you down, but might not take you as serious just due to age too? Does that have a, have anything to do with how, how people kind of treat you in certain situations? Well, I would say probably initially, but come, come do a transaction with me, come work with me and you'll see that I don't, I don't mess around. I don't want to use any bad language on here, but I mean, I, yeah. uh, you know, I, I come from, you know, uh, an agricultural and, and corporate background. So, I mean, I've I've worked on, you know, Cisco Food Service. That was the that's the largest food service provider in the right. United States. So I, I come from that background first, which I think gave me a, a very positive advantage when I came into cannabis, because what I found time and time uh, again with with customers um, is is the lack sometimes of professionalism or follow-up or mm. just answering your phone and, and being proactive and honoring your word. That has been mm. huge, you know, especially as the markets ebbed and flowed, right? When we've had these high peak markets, which don't always stay consistent. Right. Obviously this year there, there's been no market whatsoever, but you know, what I've heard from customers in the past is, wow, you know, we placed an order with you and we arrived today and, it's ready and it's manifested and you didn't try to up the ante on us because you got a better deal or, you know, I'm very true to my word. I'm, I'm, I, I try very hard to, to value what I'm, what I'm saying and what I'm offering to uh, my customers. And I, I feel that um, that's very lacking also in our, in our industry, regardless of what operation, whether you're female, whether your age, you know, there's just a lack of professionalism overall, you know, I'm here to, to do a job and I take it very seriously and I'm very passionate about what I do. And so I think that um, the interesting play is regardless of what first initial, you know, uh, interaction may be mm -hmm. amongst me and anyone new I'm meeting in the industry, you know, I, I take my professionalism very seriously. And so I think that quickly changes, let's just say people's perspective of our age and, um, how we conduct ourselves in doing business day to day because we are, you know, responsible for, you know, a 20 acre operation right. that has to function 365 days a year with or without uh, the help of, of many people. So um, it's important that we stay focused and we stay professional. And I think that 
that is still slightly lacking in our industry. And so that's what I hold myself to is that if I say I'm going to call you back, I'm going to call you back. If I say I have product and it's yours, it's yours. I try to um, be, a, be a woman of my word. Yeah. And that's, and it's obviously like a certain level of professionalism is going to separate people in any industry at any level, but it is sad at times when you look at this industry because someone, you know, I love this industry, but how, how, even having the simplest layer of professionalism separates you from so many of the pack, you know, it is, it is definitely sad. And, you know, I've, I've been around this industry for a long, not as a cultivator, but for a long time. And I think people also tend to forget back, back in the day, you know, you were able to not be as professional because people didn't have so many options, right? If you were my guy or girl and you were the only one I had, like I could wait on you for a week. You could tell me you were down the street, you know, five yeah. minutes, you'd be there for three hours, you know, because I didn't have, I couldn't replace you so easily. Um, and I think people are still stuck in this framework of wishing how things used to be. But I mean, I'll tell you, I was involved in how things used to be. Being professional was the backbone of my business back then. Um, mm -hmm. And it separated. And so it's just something that's remained true from the old school to now. But I think people, I don't know, people just get lost in it. And um, it's sad that that's where it's at. But it's great to hear that you're taking that. And I mean, just even scheduling this interview and talking to you now, I can I can tell that's obviously something you're passionate about and, and something that you're true to the word. So moving back to, I know you guys said you launched with two brands. Do you guys still have two brands under the label? And then what are those brands and kind of how are they defined? Yeah, so we've we have two in-house brands. Um, our flagship brand, our first brand was Riverview Farms. So we actually put three SKUs out to market um, under that label. So we have an ounce, a half ounce, and an eighth of our premium flour. Um, so any new you know strain or genetic uh, gets put through that brand. Um, that's all hand-trimmed flour. And uh, we have just introduced a collaboration uh, with Summit Boys as well. It's a two pack of infused pre-rolls. Um, we're a flour only operation. So we um, you know, not dabbled in edibles or concentrates uh, too much in the past, um, but we wanted to try to launch um, something that incorporated our flower as well as kind of the concentrate world. So we just came out with, like I said, this little two pack. It's kind of a neat um, item because it's our flower as well as our trim that we gave to uh, the Summit Boys to make a, you know, concentrate for us and infuse those pre-rolls. So that's brand new. And then um, what we saw um, last year, as well as, you know, the year before was a huge lack in um, a cost-effective item. So when it comes to a consumer coming into, you know, a dispensary on a budget, whether it be 25 bucks, 50 bucks, or hundred bucks out the door that they can spend, um, there wasn't a whole lot available at the time for that, um, for that type of product. And so what we started with was a four gram eighth and that um, has our budlets or what you'd consider like our mid or small buds. Same harvest, same great product, just the bud structure is slightly smaller. I think it's interesting that we've, you know, um, classified cannabis based off of THC only and size. You know, people want to see these nugs that look like strawberries. And that's not really realistic. It is for indoor cultivators, but greenhouse is a completely different style of growing. Um, but when we launched this for a public product where they were getting an extra half gram, um, slightly cheaper than our traditional eighth, um, we saw a huge response yeah. because people were able to get 
an eighth of flour out the door, anywhere between 20 and $25. And people, the amount of outreach that were like, thank you guys so much for making this product and making it accessible to us that it's now expanded into four different SKUs. So we have a, a budget friendly ounce, a four gram eighth, we have one gram of loose flour. So if you if you have five bucks, if you have five bucks and you don't wanna pre-roll, what's your option? If you have $5 mm -hmm. to spend on cannabis a week, that's your only option is, is probably a pre-roll. So we have a little one gram of loose flour that you can take and do with what you want. Um, as well as just a single pre-roll that's not infused. So those are the two product lines that we currently have out in the market. Um, you know, we've always kind of thought about potentially putting out a third here in the future. Um, but we've also taken on some white label projects for some very well-known um, names in the industry, which has been um, great opportunities for us as well, um, as well as servicing um, other, you know, broadline distributors with our product as well. And so how much are you seeing like, and if you don't want to disclose, you don't have to, but like, and it might be a rough estimation, but what percentage is going under kind of your premium line? And then what percentage are you seeing under more of the budget conscious? So I'd say right now, you know, we, we have a huge need for that budget, budget conscious sure. line. Um, so I would say, you know, probably 60, 40, you know, give or take, um, you know, we do have a little bit more going into that budget friendly line than we do our premium brand. Um, but I think that we will kind of see that level out here in the future. You know, unfortunately, California has had a, a pretty dramatic fall in the market this year. And um, we never saw a real spike or fair price per pound this year. Um, and, you know, with, with the cost being what it is to produce in the state of California, the state tax, your county tax, um, the cost of licensing, your, you know, your legal bills, um, you know, it goes on and on and on. You know, I think, unfortunately, this year um, or beginning of next year, we will see a bit of a clear up shop kind of right, thing. Right. I, I do think, unfortunately, some some businesses will not make it to the new year. Um, but, you know, we'll have to, we'll have to see. I just know that it's been, this year has been a struggle. I, I know many uh, cultivators have been, you know, scared as we've, you know, not really seen um, any market stabilization at all this year, but um, that's supply and demand. I mean, we have way too much overproduction for the amount of retail shops that there are in the state of California. You know, we have probably three or four times the amount of product that we need to supply the retail uh, outlets with. And so what we really need is some support from the state level to get, you know, more dispensaries legalized in more counties and more cities. Um, you know, we can't rely on, you know, the five, 600 shops that are currently um, out there. We need we need one on every corner, just like a 7-Eleven. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, I was just having this conversation was through LinkedIn comments, so I wasn't speaking on it, but I've had this conversation a couple of times about, you know, again, coming from Washington to California, cannabis in our state, the Pacific Northwest, Washington, and Cal uh, Oregon, um, I use real estate, water, utilities, the way the licensing structure set up allows us to get cheaper product in general. But I think having that cheaper product has eliminated more of the black market, which is obviously a huge topic in California where they say, I think they still say like 80 or 90% of the cannabis purchased in California is on the black market. And the only reason, the only reason is pricing, you know, like people would go to consistency and selection over 
over you know over one or two selections from someone that's going to be notoriously late right like they're, they're going right. to go that way but it is that tax structure and it is you know in my mind i feel like the government needs to wake you know very rarely do we see regulatory bodies give up you know go less taxes go back that just like doesn't they right. take more right that's just kind of how it goes but right. i in theory in my mind i feel like you tax less, it brings the price down. More consumers come to the legal market. So while you're getting less taxes per transaction, you'll see far more transactions and you'll actually make more tax revenue. That's in my mind. Is that a conversation you've had with any of the regulatory bodies or, or kind of what's it in on, on tax? What's the topic of taxes? What, what's the temperature there? Oh my God. Well, this has been an ongoing battle that I could talk about for the rest of the day with you. Um, but it's a two part, right? So when you when you first look at the state level, right? You know, it, I believe, and I apologize for all you notorious people, but we're at about 150 bucks per pound. I want to say it's 148 and change, but let's just call it 150 bucks at the state level per pound, right? So that's that's just owed, you know, to the state. Then you come to the county level. There's no consistency. Every single county has a different tax ordinance and, and a different way of, you know, sorting out the taxes, you know, like, so Santa Barbara County, right? They're at a gross receipt tax. We are at a cost per square foot that is owed quarterly. So at the county level, we have had numerous discussions and we're about to take it on yet again. We're about to work together with our county to try to find a way that we can equally find some mutual ground that we we feel is fair and 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 actually attainable. So Monterey County started at $15 a square foot to cultivate cannabis, which is insane. There is no other commodity in the state that I know of that is taxed $15 a square foot just to grow. I I, I have never done the research, but I would be so curious what tobacco, if if they even have to sure. pay to cultivate or grow tobacco in the US. I know wine grapes are not are not charged right. that. And I know none of the ag fields are charged at all to cultivate. So let's just start there. You have a nursery tax, you have a cultivation tax, you have a distribution tax. And then when you sell to the retailer, there's an excise tax. So the level of taxation at every single le level of the transaction, you know, it makes no sense. I'm taxed to move my plants from nursery into flower. I'm taxed to sell the product. I'm, I mean, it's just, it's absurd. It's, it's absurd. And it, and at a time like now, when the, when the price is ranging from four to 700 for a greenhouse, if you're lucky, and then you have a tax of 150 bucks just to the state, that's 15, 20% of your margin right, right there. People will not survive. People will not survive. And when it comes to being in good standing with your County, and of course with the state, you have to mm -hmm. be always in good standing with both, you know, I'm, I'm very well versed that we've come into a new and emerging market and we're going to be regulated and we're going to be very closely watched as we should. But if we're choosing to do the right thing and apply for licenses and, you know, have 50 or 60 cameras on this site 24 seven and the county knows and the state knows they can come here at any time and audit what we're doing. I would think that the that the time and energy or the resources would be used better instead of coming and auditing my canopy, you know, four, five, six times a year to make sure we're not sneaking in a few extra plants. I think it's greatly changed in a positive way. I, I do think they've 
slowly but surely try to see who the good players are and maybe treat them with a little bit more respect that we did not have at the beginning. Um, but, you know, we have seen some, some very positive changes at the county level. However, there, there's so much more to come. I mean, we, we need support. You know, nobody wants to see the black market fail more than more than us legal cultivators. I mean, because we're we are doing the right thing. We're 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 paying the taxes. We're we're showing up. You know, we're we're providing jobs. We're we're putting money back into our community. And um, I just think that you know, on the taxation level, you know, for Monterey County, we 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 politicked it down to five dollars a square foot, which is still astronomical. I mean, on a quarterly basis, for someone my size, it's three four hundred thousand dollars a quarter, four times a year. So we also have a dollar escalator. Every year, Monterey County wants to see it go from five to six, from six to seven, from seven to eight. I mean, that's, I just don't know any other industry that does that. And so what we're, what we're trying to, what we're trying to do is, is come together, the county and the cultivators and say, what is, what is attainable? Right. What is realistic? And how can we work together to ensure that Monterey County does get a piece of the pie? But it, this isn't just the cash crop everyone thought it was going to be. That's what I just don't think is still understood. There is there is ever-changing supply and demand, as we've said, and there's a huge overproduction issue in the entire state, not just in Monterey County, in the state. And so it's going to take some time to readjust. And it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen this year. I truthfully don't know when it's going to happen. I, I'm not a predictor of the market, but you know, when it comes to taxation, the counties and the states needs to open their eyes fast. If they want this to be um, an industry that they can rely on tax dollars in five, 10, 15 years, they need to work with us now. Now is the time to say, how can we ensure there is a fair but consistent stream of money coming in for years to come. It's not about being greedy. It's about being consistent and getting that money year round from all the cultivators that are available now. I mean, that have cash flow now because they may not be here in a year or two if we continue at this pace. Absolutely. And I mean, even when we were talking about earlier, the economic impact of just the migration of people, right? You're able to keep people there year round as opposed to not. And that's paychecks that are being taxed. That's grocery stores, you know, that's tax that's being spent locally. That's rent or housing, you know, there's so much more economic impact from your business just existing the way it does as opposed to how it existed previously, let alone the taxes that you're giving on top of that. And so it is definitely, I definitely hear you. And I, I, I know it's like such a tightly regulated industry. It's like you, you guys could band together and just like not pay taxes because that obviously doesn't work. But, but it, it would be that. very interesting to be like, yo, you're not getting any of our excise tax and all of our employees are about to spend money on Amazon. No one's buying anything locally. See, see, see how much money you lose in a month, you know, like kind of force their hand. But I feel you. It's, it's definitely a, a hot topic. I don't know if you know, um, there's Elliot Lewis, the CEO of Catalyst Dispensaries. He, do, he okay, does a lot yeah. of content on LinkedIn about taxation, yeah. very cursing out the government, the regulators. He's, <laughs> it's great. I love watching his content. I love watching his content, but it's very much in part that you're saying much more explicit, the explicit version, but I'll, I'll have to shoot you a link so you can check out some of his stuff. Um, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. It's, it's just absurd. And so what do you what do you feel like is a 
what do you feel and this is just kind of rare but what do you feel like is a more optimum tax rate because what's the total ta i mean it might be hard to estimate what's the total taxes for cannabis is it like 40 percent um for for monterey county i guess yeah i mean or, i know i know it varies on county but what's the total taxes you feel like an end consumer how much of that you know you know fifty dollar eighth for example how much of that is taxes oh my god <laughs> i mean honestly if Again, don't quote me. I haven't done yeah, the yeah. math, but from what I'm selling it to the retailer and then what it goes to the end consumer is, and of course that store does have to make a margin, but, but yeah, I'd say probably upwards of about 40% of that is taxes. I mean, because I, I know that the stores obviously have to make a profit and hopefully are profitable, but you know, if I'm, it's simple math, if I'm selling an eighth to the dispensary, I'm saying 10 bucks, let's say 10 bucks, right? And then it's marketed at anywhere from 25 to $40, right? I mean, 24% of that transaction has already been excise tax. And then you have to factor in the cultivation tax, whatever the dispensaries are responsible for. I mean, if I were to guess, probably at least 40% yeah. of that. Yeah. I think but again, I'd have to do it. I'd have to really yeah, yeah. Number. And I feel you. I don't. You know, anyone else watching out there? If there's exact things, you can let us yeah. know in the comments. Don't grill nobody. She no, gave you the preface. It was an estimate off the top. I put her on the spot. I didn't tell her to prepare these <laughs> numbers. All right. So we don't. You know. But I, yeah, I, I'm the same way. I mean, I think it's just get the estimate. I'm. I'm not a person of exacts. I'm a person of just trying to grasp the concept. Um, and so you guys also do, you know, something, you, I, a lot of the content we do is California, but again, I'm from Washington, so we do a lot up here. You know, distribution is night and day different between the two markets. Do you guys also do distribution or do you have to work with uh, a third party for that? No, so we've been, we've held strong for this whole time. We are 100% self-distributed. Uh, so we've never opted for the option of using a third party distributor. So that way, you know, the profit margin stays in house yeah. and our, our our consumers and our retail partners get the best farm direct pricing possible. Because I think with the third party distributors, yes, they have a larger maybe bandwidth or, or outreach to, you know, some of the stores, you know, way up north or maybe all the way down in San Diego. So they may have a larger grasp on retail outlets. But if you're pushing three, four 10 brands, right? Um, using a third party distributor and at minimum they want what 20% and they're only paying on what's sold by month. Um, it's very challenging to be profitable month to month if your retail um, is dependent on, you know, a third party's ability to sell your product. And I think what's really unique is, is nobody's more passionate about Riverview than me mm -hmm. and my sister mm -hmm. and my team. And um, I think that it, gives us a huge advantage at the sales level. Like for example, you know, I'm, I'm the president of the company. I run our bulk program here to all of our, um, you know, third party distribution partners that are looking to fill brands, but I'm still part of the sales team. I was in Modesto this week, visiting retail clients uh, door to door. Anyone that's doing business with us, I kind of champion the store. I go in, I see how things are going. I make sure they know of new SKUs. Um, and I'd like to know what other presidents of companies are actually going in and, and visiting yeah. their retail partners, like face to face. And my sister's doing the same in Vallejo. So, um, you know, we, we there's nothing, um, you know, we don't do. You know, we we are not to a point where uh, we can't get out and, um, you know, introduce ourselves and make sure that they know that we're a resource to them. Um, you know, at any time, you know, we also keep our marketing in house. There's a lot of things that we've chosen to maybe be slower to 
uh, kind of the finish line, you know, we don't have the same marketing budget or we don't have the same presence maybe on weed maps as maybe some of these other other companies, but we're giving good real information about our brand and about our business and about our farm to people by doing these things in house. Yeah. And yeah, you said, well, how many other presidents are driving out to retail stores? I don't think there's, yeah. I don't think there's very many unless they're, you know, vertically integrated and own, and own those retail stores. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how has the, how, what, what challenges have you guys been posed with through doing your own distribution? Cause obviously the state of California is fucking enormous. So, um, yeah. I'm sure it's been difficult just from a sheer geographic standpoint of, you know, deli making deliveries, but also like, you know, making these visits and sales visits and popping in. Is it, what are some of the challenges and obstacles that you guys have faced through, through kind of that model of doing distribution in house? Yeah. So I think, I think the biggest challenge has been obviously, you know, Southern California, Los Angeles is such a beast that's so much of where the market is um, at this point. And there's so many brands that are emerging day to day. And, you know, we don't always have boots on the ground. Yes, we're there once a week, but, you know, there are obviously bigger companies that have reps in these LA retailers daily. So I think, you know, just like I said, like the band, the bandwidth, we're only capable of, you know, properly handling so many accounts. Um, but what we do provide that, that's, you know, I think unique to, to other companies is, the consistency, you know, we, we really understand supply chain. So we have, you know, we have 365 day a year production of high quality flour. So I think when people do onboard us or do, I say, give us a chance for some somewhere, you know, Southern California, whether it be, you know, a, a, a chain of stores that maybe, uh, you know, hasn't heard of us in the past, I think we're very quickly able to show how we differentiate um, from some of the other larger broadline distributors that go out of stock and it can be weeks before their shelves are replenished. You know, if we're, if we get an order, you know, we're about turnaround time. We're about fulfilling that, um, consistently because we are such a large scale producer, you know, we're not scared to take on retail chains that have 10, 15, 20 stores, you know, we have, you know, made the investment in getting, you know, two automatic way scales. Um, we, you know, again, that's from the agricultural industry. If you were to look at our agricultural uh, salad plants all around here, you know, Fresh Express brands that you see in the store today, um, when you buy bagged spinach, when you buy shredded lettuce for tacos, when you buy spring mix blends, um, those are automatically weighed and filled in Ooh. bags, uh, made the investment and we've bought in much smaller <laughs> much smaller machines that can uh, weigh and pack weed. And so whether it be for our own internal brand or whether it be for a, a new emerging brand coming online, you know, we are not um, afraid uh, of a challenge, you know, packing a hundred pounds to us in eighths or ounces is not, not attainable for us. Whereas, you know, a lot of people seek that like third party service to do that for them. Um, and we can do that from, from start to finish and get you a finished product. So I think we, really stand out when it comes to that part of the of the equation. And I think what's really interesting about distribution and being in retail stores, I think it at the beginning it was, let's puff out our chest and say, oh, I'm in all 500 stores. Okay, well that means, that means great, you have 100% of the market, but of those 500 stores, which of those are consistently paying their bills and reordering and not burning you for hundreds of thousands of dollars of product that you've put on their shelves, but they haven't been able to sell through or haven't been able to pay you on. Um, so we like to work with like-minded companies that, you know, are turning over dollars, are turning over products and are consistently, 
you know, ordering, paying, re-upping. That's like the kind of client we look for. So we, I would say we're a little bit more selective probably than maybe some of the other brands out there because not all business is good business. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Um, and so that's interesting too, just something, you know, something that just struck to me what you're talking about, like obviously switching, having that history in agriculture has helped you guys, you would say probably has helped you guys be able to operate at scale as opposed to, you know, you know, the legacy farmer who started in a garage and is trying to figure out how to do something at scale where you might not have that necessarily history. You have the understanding of how do we package? How do we move? How do we operate with a staff of this size and, and to remain a profitable business? So you would say that that agriculture experience has really helped you guys to be able to operate a 20 acre farm, correct? Absolutely. And, and just finding ways to keep things, not just, I mean, obviously we're a vertical operation, but finding the most effective ways like people, you know, may not see, you know, when you're looking at the business from, you know, an aerial standpoint, we have, we have changed and manipulated the way we've done things three, four times, um, because we always learn something from a mistake or from, um, you know, one, one winter to the next or a transplant to the next We you find something you fine tooth it, and you make it better for the next go around. So I think that, you know, we've definitely had some advantages there as being able to adjust as needed and um, being able to, um, you know, find uh, chain, you know, links in the chain and get them corrected as opposed to if we were um, waiting on, you know, a third party for, let's just say, you know, our nursery cuts, you know, we, we obviously have, we have our own mother stock, we take our own cuts, we have our own clones. Last year we were hit big time with this hop latent virus, the whole, the whole county was. And so long story short, you know, there were clones and teens being passed around that were, you know, duds. They had low potency and uh, low yields. And, and there was really at the time, no way to test for it other than sending these clones and cuts to either a dark heart nursery or someone that had the technology to, to scout this out. Well, the second we found out that this was going on, we went to the lab, we asked them what machinery we, we, that they were using. We bought three and we still use them to this day. Like it's ag science 101. Like the second there's an issue, we combat it and we don't rely on anyone else to fix it for us. Um, so I think that's where we've, we've, we've had the upper hand. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. And I, I, I love that approach. Um, man, you know, I've had a great conversation. I'm, is there anything else you'd like to add about Riverview Farms? And then also you can feel free to shamelessly plug where people can find you guys at as well. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I feel like we've covered a lot and I just want to thank you again for, you know, giving us a platform to come in and talk about our operation. Um, you know, we are very, you know, proud of what we do and we thank you for the support that you've given us today. Um, you can find us information about us at our website, which is www.growwithrvf.com. Um, that has a store locator on it. It has information about our farm. It shows all of our products and it directly links you to our Instagram page as well. If you guys want to see uh, daily content giveaways, uh, learn more about us, um, DM me. Um, we are uh, Riverview Farms, which is plural with an underscore. Um, I see them. I love to get your guys' comments and likes and direct messages. Um, I love sharing our story. So come and join us on the Riverview Farms Instagram page, and I will be sure to uh, give you guys all a shout out. Um, so yeah, awesome. that's where you can. <laughs> Thank you very much. We had Michelle Hackett, President Riverview Farms. Great conversation. Touched on a lot of different things today. Um, really appreciate you joining us um, Absolutely. to our listeners out there. We'll be back with another episode soon.